is simple. When you play, say you play chess, play like tennis, I don't know, chess boxing, Wu Tang Joker is. Wu Tang Joker? No, Wu Tang Joker. All right, Staten Island. Um, so, if you play with someone who's a grandmaster at chess, and you play your first couple games of chess, you're, you're going to be, he's going to wipe the floor, right? The floor will be wiped by you, right? If you play with someone who is kind of moderate, well, then you might have a fighting chance. But the real, it turns out, and a lot of cognitive scientists have, have demonstrated this, if you play with someone that's within your skill level, at any uh, endeavor, that's 10% above and below, there's some threshold, you will advance. So they played each other, and eventually these bots, I guess I'm drawing them bigger as they get better, right? Um, they progressed at the same level, right? They kept learning from each other because they were within a certain range. One time, one bot would win, so it was kind of this uh, thing. This is very similar to a method in reinforcement learning. There's uh, a number of algorithms that are just kind of applied as uh, reinforcement learning. It's not exactly actor critic, but it kind of is. I won't go through the terms in more detail. But the notion is, is that uh, you have this notion of you have two bots kind of fighting each other. And it kind of simulates, like you're trying to make a decision in your head, right? There's part of you that wants to do something, the part of you kind of comes against it. And then after a while, the answer you come to, I don't know if it's the best decision in the world, right? Because who knows? But at least it had a few chances of being iterated through and thought through, right? Yeah. So as two noobs, was it prone to explore almost exclusively and have nothing to exploit, and that explains why they were? Yeah, you're you're stealing some of the thunder there, but yes, there is some of that. So uh, and that gets into some of the other things. So I'll move forward. Uh, it's a good thing this video doesn't play, but I highly recommend watching this video because it definitely will get your attention um, because. I could, you know, joking about this. If you think about this, this machine, these bots got, became super masters in three, four days, right? And, um, you know, the joke, you know, being that, think about what they could do. And not so much because they're smarter, because they iterate more. And they operate on time scales, just like any computer program, in nanoseconds. And so they can run through lifetimes of scale, right? So you heard the 10,000 hour rule, right? where if you do something for 10,000 hours and you, you continually, consciously try to improve, you will be a master level. And, you know, the example that, um, would be, you know, playing the violin, right? Unfortunately, you know, all these other things that we are distracted by humans, right? Fall asleep, you know, um, eat, all sorts of things, and their measure of focus, they don't have that, 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 that problem. But there's still hope, at least for now. Uh, this is an actual, uh, my wife went to Carnegie Mellon, and we were up uh, in Pittsburgh. That's an actual billboard in the middle of the town. I added before now to make it a little more promoting. So there's some math, and a big part of the challenge here is keeping a lot of the formula kind of out of the discussion, because in 40 minutes or however much time I have, or 50 minutes, there's only so much. And this really is the hardest class. I can't tell you how many times I get to replay on the lectures. Right, which is another uh, awesome use for online learning because if you miss something the professor said, depending on the professor, he or she may not be willing to repeat it. And if you, again, you have to go through office hours, there's a whole thing to that. 
Um, but this one was the hardest. You're the second or third person to tell me that. And I don't think more than but like that couple thousand people worldwide have taken the class. I wouldn't be daunted. The real thing that they assume is when you go to do the labs, that somehow you have the ability to express the math Right. Right out of your head. Right. right, and that is the first iteration of the class. And you can tell, as you're taking this course at edX, like there's a point, about the first third, you can tell somebody's worked through it, and kind of like, okay, let's assume. And then the second two thirds, because somebody uh, used to work with, like went to like, very smart guy. He had done this, and I was like, I saw his class. So I'm doing like the first third, and I'm like, that? And then boom, it hit me. It was like, yes, it is the first time. Yeah, what is this I did take the uh, edX uh, data science curriculum the last yeah. year, and uh, I, you know, I had a hard time with some of the lectures in there too, some of the math lectures, and I noticed something that really did trick me here, and I don't know if this happened here, but there's cases where the instructor would be like saying one thing, but pointing at different things. And that, I, yeah, I mean, I had to actually go back and yeah. replay it, and bring my wife in the room and go, okay, she's saying this, but look where she's pointing, she's pointing something different, you know, in that right. kind of thing, you don't notice it, <laughs> but when it happens, your your brain like internally when you're going that you, your brain internally gets like screwed up or something like that, and you just messes you up. So I don't know if that happened in this class, but so no, fast. this was just pure math, and I'll kind yeah. of show you some. Oh, that's that hard. I mean, yeah. um, and you can use you can Google it the Bing or use Bing, whatever search engine you like. Microsoft pays my mortgage, so I'll use Bing. Um, I'll keep it white. Um, so this is one of the formula errors, right? This is a likelihood ratio measure. Um, look here. Hi. It's a triangle. It's one of Apparently that means gradient. And I only inferred that because he kept saying, oh, gradient of data. So it's basically like a, it's kind of like, you know how like universities, they have um, like sororities and fraternities and they're all three right. letters? Yeah. Imagine if they all had like a big party and then like all the letters exploded everywhere. That's kind of what the formula looked like. But some of them gave me a headache. And like sometimes like that's what I understand. And I'd be like I am with Andy in the back. Like, oh my god, I understand the universe now. Like, <laughs> like it's true. So like I would send him a screenshot of this. My god, look at this, this is so beautiful. And then now if I look at it, I'm like, Sarsa, one of the kids on Game of Thrones. <laughs> Like, so it kind of, it kind of leaves you, but, um, so when I wrote about this, it was really hard to kind of keep it within a, um, a context that makes sense for developers or software engineers. I'm a software engineer by training and by trade. Now I'm a data scientist, AI guy. So a lot of that kind of, I don't want to say baggage, but I'd say experience I'm bringing with me. Uh, and you'll heard him say, if he said something about greedy, and you'll see that word again. Greed's gonna come up uh, a couple of times in one of the demos. But let's get down to the basic elements of reinforcement learning. You have an environment, like a chessboard. You have an agent, right? That's the player in the chess, but not the pieces, <coughs> right? The state at any given moment is the location of the pieces on the chessboard. Action is any valid action you can make in a given chess. Then what happens is you make it, you take an action. The environment changes. You, based on the updated state, the agent will then receive their own reward based on that, and then the cycle begins again. So, an example would be if I had a chess bot and it was learning, and the 
the first, um, it would get, and imagining a computer getting a reward, getting punished is kind of a, a, a little bit of a suspension of disbelief. You're going to have to bear with me. It'll make sense when you look at the code. But the notion is, what would happen if I had an agent who played a game of chess? That would, every time it took out an opposing piece, it would get five points. Every time it moved, maybe it costed one point, or negative one on the scale. And winning the game, I don't know, I just said, oh, you know, that's a five. That's going to result in a very aggressive chess play. Yes? It actually had, like, so first of all, there in chess, there is a standard number that you assign to each piece for the work of the piece. Right. Take that piece. But the problem with that is that when you capture the thing, the game is over. Right. So that's sort of infinite, you know, uh, as a reward or as a punishment. Right. And so it, historically, one of the problems with chess bots has been um, they don't um, they don't take uh, geometry, they don't take the, the places of the pieces into account right. as well. You have to then factor that in. That's that's incumbent on the engineer. Yeah. What, how how you incentivize the bot? Yeah. It sounds really weird, right? We're incentivizing <laughs> a piece of code. Yeah, I mean, it's just a number. You're telling it's just a number. Telling you, yeah. Is worth seven and the queen is worth ten. You know, and writing worth a hundred. <laughs> what you're getting in there is this notion. I think it's called the Feldman equation. Is the notion of delayed gratification, right? If I attack the queen now. What was the number you gave? Seven or something like that? Yeah, yeah. But infinite, if I proceed a strategy that will get me toward getting to the king, it's infinite payoffs. Yeah. Right? You have a question? Just uh, curious, Frank. Is this is this optimization? Is that it, what we're after? It ends up becoming like an optimization. Okay. Right. But you have to, it's basically about trial and error. Okay. Cool. So, and this is a joke I like to make, is that if you have a self-driving car algorithm, that would be incentivizing to do bad things. This is how people learn to drive in the car. And I mentioned self-driving cars because where you find a lot of this is um, basically they learn by trial and error. And synthetic data is a lot safer. It's a lot safer to push an algorithm. You can see what's going on inside Grand Theft Auto, and no real person gets 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 hurt. But it can do all these sorts of stupid mistakes, and it can learn from that. Another place where you see this is in video game uh, development. Well, not so much development, but in um, you know people have been taking Mario Brothers and training algorithms and bots to beat Mario Brothers. I think somebody in the Microsoft research team scored a perfect score in this Pac-Man. Uh, well, they did; their bot did. But it's very interesting in terms of how that works. But really, the key here is you have to incentivize. Um, you have to incentivize properly, or you'll get some unintended consequences. Um, and synthetic data, I mentioned this, is that this is a great way. So you, you train it on a video game kind of uh, surface at once. No one gets hurt. You can really control the scenarios, right? Like, is it a rainy day? Is it sun in the eyes? Is the um, sun low in the sky? Is there traffic? Is there, you know, all sorts of things you have a lot more finite control over rather than just saying, here, go for it. That makes me wonder, you know, you hear about these, these um, all these research being done in self-driving cars, they're all done in the Bay Area, which typically has really nice weather. Like, what's gonna happen if they get rolled out and, you know, we have snowmageddon, 
right? How is it going to react, or how is it going to react in the streets of Chicago? But first, I'm going to talk about the original algorithms. Any bio biology people here? You know what this is? Chemists? No? It's dopamine, which is a chemical that the brain makes. And basically, it's part of a reward system that biology has, has produced. Uh, it, and remember, your brain is there to keep you alive. It's not there to make you happy. It's basically there to keep you alive. Uh, it's not perfect because we can see things like you know drug addiction and, and how it can kind of hijack the dopamine system. Um, but you know, there's still seven billion human beings on the planet. I would say net net, it's pretty a pretty good system. Um, but think about it, your kids, not child development, how they learn. Right, so a favorite example is I have a three-year-old, I think he was two at the time. My wife and I kept talking about going to the Apple store. Right, because he grew up on the iPad. I don't know. But one day I'm in a supermarket parking lot with him, and he goes, Hey, look, Daddy, the Apple Store. Apple Store. <laughs> this is definitely not where the Apple Store And then I look, and if you're familiar with the, 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 the supermarket chain latte, right, the O is a, looks like a giant apple. So from his point of view, that was the Apple Store. That's funny. Right? Um, or if you have pets, Way they figure things out. Now, if you follow me on Instagram or you, you follow my Facebook, or sometimes Twitter, I have, white, I have four dogs. One of them's a white mouse. Very smart dog. Very mischievous dog. <laughs> right? So that is a raw piece of pork loin that she got out. We have a microwave that pulls out like a drawer. She's figured out how to open it. Right? And her dopamine hit was getting a whip of the pork as it was defrosting and basically drinking it over. And that's not like, you know, in the wild would that happen? So dogs and pets, um, they know who is the who is the person at the breakfast table most likely to give the dog food. Right? I didn't train teachers. Lord knows she doesn't listen to me. Right? So you never did. Right? So she knows that he's going to uh, his big brother gave him like two or three waffles. She knows he's only going to have one or two. So she's just waiting her turn. Or if he decides that he wants to go play with his trucks, she's just going to scoop it up. Um, wine runners are great dogs, but they are not for the first time dog owner. Uh, look for, if you want some humor, wine crime. Hashtag wine crime on Instagram. Apparently she's not the only one. <laughs> All right, so we're going to talk about the multi-armed bandit problem. So this term comes from uh, slot machines, which were known as uh, you know, one-armed bandits. So a bank of them would be multi-armed bandits. Um, so imagine a bank of slot machines. Uh, which one of these will pay out the most? You find out. You have to spin them, right? So let's just say the first one pays out at 10%. Now I have a dilemma. I know every 10 pulls, I'm going to get a jackpot. Should I bother with the other four? Because as slot machines go, that's actually pretty good. Should I bother with that? Should I be greedy, right, and exploit the resource that I'm currently aware of? Or should I be curious and explore 
the resources in the hope that there's a better payoff. And there's a certain threshold there, and we'll actually run through this. So the second one actually pays off at 25%, which, hey, getting made. But then as we go through, we'll see there's kind of a dip. So we know the ground truth, but the algorithm may not necessarily do that. So basically, you have this explore versus exploit, right? If you remember that song, should I stay or should I go? Right, that's pretty much this, this algorithm right here. Striking a balance between greed and curiosity. So remember what old Gordon said. Right? Well, it turns out, actually, five to 10% of the time, greed actually does work. If you wanna set those numbers, and um, the experiment is up there, I can, I can share that. Um, it's also gonna be, um, yes, I know. Um, uh, so, Steve just got that. All right, so I'm going to pull up one of the least well known services we have in the cloud is Azure Notebooks. So, how many people here know about Jupyter Notebooks and that kind of thing, right? So if you're not familiar with this, and that is my dog. All right, so while this is busy loading, basically Jupyter Notebooks is a way that you can interact with code um, kind of in real time. It's a very popular data scientist because you can do a lot of exploration pretty easily. And I do not like the fact it's taking that long. <laughs> That's not funny, Frank. Looks like Plan C is in effect. It's still not even. 
your notebooks. Let's hope this works. If nothing else, I can at least show you the code that's already run in the notebook. Once the computer likes to play along. So is the Azure notebook any different than uh, the Uber notebook? Or it's, uh, it's basically Jupyter for this right now. That's great. That's the big part. Oh, right. And the same thing, Jupyter notebook and Python is pretty much the same. All right, let's see what happens. I've not tested this on my local machine, so hey. All right, so. I want to show you uh, this here. So if you're not familiar with this, uh, shameless plug, I wrote a really good article. Actually, now that I work for Microsoft, they don't pay me anymore. Right. So, um, I have an article on kind of the excruciating details on how to get used to this, how to get into Jupyter Notebooks. Um, but basically, how many people here have programmed Python before? Oh, okay, cool, so good job. C Sharp, Java, that, that type of class of language. Um, this is Python. Um, so basically what I'm doing is I'm importing a couple of important libraries and I'm saying I have a five slot machines, right? And I'm going to create a random distribution of numbers. Um, I call that JPs. And that is going to, I, I plot that out, I'm going to show you, these are the payoffs, right? So the first jackpot pays, uh, first slot machine jackpots 54% of the time, second one 27 the third one is 42%, the uh, fourth one at 84%, and the fourth one a little more realistic at you know under 1%. Right? Any real casino that has slot machines like this would probably not be in business right now. So I'm going to run that. Cool, it worked. <laughs> um, all right, so these are, um, this is what we know. Now remember, the algorithm's not going to know this. We're just setting up a simulation for, for the thing to do. And what we're doing is we're going to create here a, um, a simulation of how you play a slot machine, right? So you play it, come in the machine if you want to play, and create a random number. If it's less to or equal to um, the uh, random the threshold point, um, then you know, return 10 points, otherwise return a negative one, right? So basically, I will, uh, let's see, where is it? So the new cell, so butchering my All right, so what I have to do is I have to execute that cell, and then what I'm gonna say is I'm gonna play machine That's the one that's really good. And remember the, the third number there. What's the percent chance I'm going to hit a jackpot? Sorry, the fourth one. Yeah. Off, somebody's walking around once because of that off by one index errors. Don't yeah. get started. <laughs> yeah, you have to see it. Uh, all right, so I messed up. So, yeah, the, the fourth one in the series, but 
Number. Oh, that's if you count the zero, the zero with one. Zero with is first. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Because this isn't confusing enough. So. <laughs> so it turns out I won. Game A. Right? Now if I try the last one here, notice how I avoided the number. That one. Right? So if I play that one, if I win this one, then definitely play a lottery. <laughs> right? So just like anything else in statistics, you just do the same thing a bunch of times and eventually a pattern emerges. Hopefully. Usually. Um, and you'll see that for the fourth machine out of five, um, I won most of them. Index three, thank you. Index three, I won pretty much the, the last one that has the you know sub one percent chance of winning. Obviously, there's none of there. Um, you know, even if I made that, you know, a thousand, one might come up. All right, so now we're going to amp up the game here. We're going to create a multi-arm uh, bandit simulation. And basically, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take these as parameters: number of arms, number of iterations of every one, and this thing called epsilon, which is a Greek letter and math people and love uh, weird Greek letters. So I'm going to run this to define it. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to run, I'm going to chart the actual odds, right? Ground truth. Remember, we know this, bot doesn't. Um, and then I'm going to say over a thousand iterations. So it's basically going to pull the slot machine a thousand times. It's going to, or it's going to play a thousand times. Um, whether or not it pulls the same one or not, we'll see. So what I'm doing here is not only am I going to play the game, but I'm also going to remember what my chances were on that given machine. So let me show you what that does here. Is basically what I'm going to do is run through my iterations and then pick at random. So it's going to generate uh, a, a random number. And if that hits the epsilon, if it does, if it goes uh, above the epsilon threshold, it's going to exploit. So it's going to hit. And argmax is a function that gets the highest number in a uh, numpy array, right? So I, if you saw, I kind of zeroed them all out here. So at first, I assume nothing, right? They all have odds of zero percent, no information. Philosophically, you could debate: should that be zero? Should that be something else? We could do that another time. Zero works for a 50-minute session. Um, so what this is going to do is basically, okay, so play the machine. If if I don't hit my, my certain greed threshold or, or my ex, uh, my epsilon threshold, um, which basically I'm going to play the best the ones I've got the best odds on so far. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the machine. I'm either going to get a minus one or a ten, and then I'm going to add that information times a bunch of kind of you know, percentage math, and I'm going to store that in what my estimated payout odds are. Right. So remember, estimated payout odds starts off at zeros because we don't know anything, and then each time I play, I'm going to remember, I'm going to store what my odds were on that machine, and then I'm going to go through and basically repeat that, repeat that, repeat that, repeat that number of iterations. All clear so far? I realize if you don't know Python, this is not exactly the thing. So what I do now is now I have that, like a test harness, I'm going to plot out 
use what the actual odds are, just because I don't want to have to keep scrolling to the top of the screen. Right? <laughs> and I'm going to say, before I say greed is good 5-10% of the time, so this is the optimal number, right? So 10% of the time, it's not going to pick, pull the slot machine that has the best odds on it, right? It's going to explore. It's going to play around with stuff, right? Uh, and then we're going to show the odds and results of that. And then I'm going to drop it down to 0.01, so it's only going to explore 1% of the time. And this I should call, I don't have a zero. So if this were zero, I'll make this zero. Call that the Gordon Gecko one, right? It's fully green. I don't, I don't understand why, uh, why it's not, why that thing you want to do. Like, isn't the point of a slot machine always to take the most money possible? So you've I, got me here. This this is a contrived example. So, but like, you're never going to go to a real casino and have one and ten percent odds. Yeah, but I thought that I thought the exercise here was the fact that the, the was it four or five percent right. in the beginning. So the machine doesn't know at the beginning which one of those is highest. Right, it's going to learn. Yeah, so so even if it picks the one that's eighty four percent, right, the other one might be ninety percent. Right. Um, so it has to. It has to explore, and right. the exploration I'm doing is just a random look. Okay. Right. And then this threshold here, this number here, determines how often I'm going to explore. Yeah. So yeah. that I'm not going to explore at all. Right. So when something doesn't explore, it's called greedy. And when this one is when it explores all the time, it's going to be exploited. But how is it, how is it explored? How is it quote unquote greedy? If you if you're stuck at the one that's twenty, if you you're stuck in the one that's 20% and you're not looking for the one that's 80%. How this is, is a good easy? point, and the numbers will kind of show off that. Remember, I had the, the thing at Gordon Gecko, read, said read is good. So in this context, greed of about 10% is, is actually good. Beyond that, it starts being detrimental. But what about the, the other things? Religious and philosophical things aside. It looked like you had, so, you, so you're adjusting that number. Right. And uh, each so one of these. 100%. Right. If you if you had it hundred percent, it would switch no matter what. Sorry. It would it would explore no matter what. It would explore no matter what. Zero percent it stays where it is no matter what. It, what it's gonna do, and you'll see it'll make a lot more sense when you see the numbers right now. Bear uh, out. I think the phrase greed seems a little incorrect. It's more like safe or something like that. Yeah, because you're right. Like, because in that scenario you you you're in the real world, the real the real situation within game theory is secure, right? The, the casino has their vested interests, and you as a player have your vested interests. How those two interact is a very complicated dance. In this scenario, I'm just creating a fantasy land of an imaginary bank of slots, okay. and I want to see if I can figure out the odds. It, it, not me, I know the odds. If the bot can figure out the odds based on just exploring. Yeah. So the goal for this is actually to see how closely do I match, does the bot come back with actual chart uh, match with the actual odds. Does that make sense? Yeah. One of the nice things that they do in the class is they talk about clinical trials and various right. patients that have a condition and applying various treatments, whether it's a pill or whatnot. If you gave somebody a pill right out of the, hop the hopper and they died, you'd say, well, I'm not going to give anybody that pill. Anymore. Right. You'd find another pill and say, oh, this one actually works. And you start to exploit that good pill. But you might not realize it's going back and like that, that 
result if you did enough Monte Carlo. And, but that's the that's what statistics are for. We don't have like a lot of statistics here. Well, but the trials are about statistics. Yeah, but well, in that case, it might make sense if you got a thousand trials to just say, let's do ten of each, right? Ten trials on each. They're just strategy, though. They're just strategy. And then and then see you know how close we get to the or the true mean of the payout, and then choose choose some of the higher ones. But, but think about it, if you said do 10, 10 of each one, yeah. and then one of them, let's say you got no payout out of eight of them, yeah. the other one you got to pay out uh, every time out of eight of them, mm -hmm. if you want to make money, would you still do those two more? And that one that you got no payout on, or would you just right. stick with the one that's working? Right. right. And, and at what point do you say, yeah. I tried it enough, right. this one I know works, I'm sticking with the one that's working. There is a... a uh, I don't know off the top of my head, but there is a real statistical definition for how you would do that to maximize your stuff, and and how many times you're gonna, how many times your sample, you do a sample meet, and it will come, how close it will come to the, sure. uh, the population, you know. So in that case, I guess it's just like the same again. So we can try the same thing for this. Right. So. Maybe if I run through the numbers, maybe it'll make sense. Yeah. I have no idea why the thing is playing process. Um, all right, so this is the actual odds. This is the ground truth, right? So the third one, I mean the fourth one, index three is the highest one, right? Um, second place would be zero, et cetera, et cetera. Four is not even a thing. If you look at what it learned, it learned pretty much the same thing. Right? And this is of 10%, uh, which is the you know, part of the upper end of the ideal. So what it learned, just by experimentation, it did a pretty good job. So using the example of, of pills, this did a pretty good example of figuring out which one had the best success. What's interesting is, um, this actually is a negative number, which means the payoff rate is so low that, it's, that, I just, that the bot thinks that it's a negative payoff, right? If um, this is wrong to make it zero. So this is basically, and if you rerun this, you get slightly different things. Basically, what happened here was, you know, this one probably came up randomly at first. Oh, that's not a reward. Let me pick, let me pick another one. And then this one, and then when it finally found one that paid off, it stacked and stacked and stacked and stacked and stacked the top one. And it saved it. And then, so it picked, you know, index two which is not anywhere near the best option. So that's being fully greedy, and you'll see that if you're fully explorative, well, you kind of get the same thing as being 10%, but there is one difference. Anyone want to take a guess of what the difference is? The reward is different, right? So this is 3,609 for always exploring, and by with the optimal count, it's 7,800. And it always runs about eight to 10 times the amount. So the cool thing about this is to run it again and again and again. And it'll, it'll show up slightly differently. Let's say. Oh, because you don't have any. I'm not doing any. You don't have any negative switches. Right, right, and um, but run it again, and we see 
Right, so it's, it's, yeah, basically it hit Right. And there are times when you know, playing, you disagree that you're playing safe, that's kind of a crazy thing. But what's really cool is you can amp it up now. Number of slot machines. Right, so that's what this looks like. And that, so the 10 and the negative 1 payoff that you're putting there? Yeah. Is that your, um, is that kind of something you're putting on top of the model, or is that adjustable? I mean, obviously that's it's adjustable, but why did you, you chose those numbers for a reason, or just kind of synthetic? No, it just, it seemed like, okay, you know. Is 10, is 10 considered your reinforcement of the model? Right, 10 would be the reinforcement of the model. So, I mean, the thinking was would be the opposite of the detection method or the So, I maybe I missed it. When you get to, is it saying that when you get to the, the zero is when you, when you move? Or just. Uh, zero, uh, when your epsilon is zero. Your um, epsilon is zero. You are never going to explode. I, uh, I know that part. I know that part. But I'm right. saying the, the payoff of 10 and one, negative 1. Right. Um, so I could. So let's say first round, I'm on the, 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 the zero uh, bar, which is like a 20% payoff. Right? right. And if I run out of 5 chances, if I hit it, I get 10 points. If I don't hit it, I get negative 1 points. Right? Right. That has no effect on whether or not I go over to the next bar. In this algorithm, it doesn't. It's basically okay. what happens is, so let's say I'm going through this completely brief, right? Uh -huh. um, remember the argmax, the real, the real thinking here, if you want to call it that, is the argmax, which um, picks the highest value, right? That's how I'm picking, right? So in this case. Okay, well that's having a seizure. Yeah, somebody here is going to have a seizure. All right, so there's basically epsilon is the first one, right? Is that the question? And then you're wondering, well, so if some random number is greater than epsilon, then um, pull best machine. Right? Otherwise, um, try a new machine at random. So if, I'm, if this is like, I'm never going to do this at all. I'm never going to explore. I'm always going to find the best machine. Right? And it's never, it's not the best machine in the real world or in the simulation. 
it's the best machine the algorithm knows about. So if I, given these five slot machines, right, Right? The first one was like 24%, right? The 10% yeah. It doesn't matter what Right? So if I win, yay, that's the best one. All right, next time it comes around, whatever, I'm not exploring, pretty much always going to do this. Right? What's the best one I got so far? Zero one. Again, 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 again. Now, the only reason you see the other pattern is what if you pull this one? Right? And you don't win. So that's going to have a negative number. Right? And remember, they all start off at zero. So, all right, well, give me the best machine. Certainly not going to be this one. Why not, though? It could be that all the other people know that. More negative. We don't know that. But we don't know that. Well, so what will happen is if they are more negative, eventually we'll learn that. We'll eventually find the least negative one. But, but that depends on your F score. So. Totally depends on this, this, that, that example was assuming a completely 3D F score. Zero. No explanation. Yeah, so it just stays with the one that it's first. Right. Whatever it lands first. It's yeah. like my grandmother when she went to Atlantic City. She found a machine that paid her off. She used that one for three years. Like. Changes to their epsilon automatically as part of this learning as well. Yes. So there's a whole thing. Remember when I said that the kids are more um, somebody who talks about kids are more exploratory. The kids don't have a complete map of the world as adults. And there's also the fact that as you get older, you know, maybe climbing Mount, Mount Kilimanjaro, you know, maybe that's not my thing because I'm away from kids and mortgage. You know what I mean? Like so. If you have a limited um, map of the world, whether you're a child, whether you're a dog, or whether you're a bot, you don't know, so you don't have anything to lose. It's only when you start accumulating something to lose, you lose that flexibility and ability to There's all sorts of mechanisms. Exactly. So what you'll see is there's a whole thing. There's a really good book by Pat that basically goes through all the popularities. There's about a, there's about half a dozen in the book. There's probably about almost a dozen now. And by the time we get home tonight, there'll probably be thirty. But the point is that there's multiple ways to kind of uh, to approach that. And a lot of this is game theory, right? Like, well, you know, you thought of ways to, and you have to be very careful about the scenario you set up. That's why these. There's another one, the ice field, even more contrived. Right? Uh, and it's even simpler. Um, I can show you an animation of it, actually. Interesting thing is, I think there's no right answer. I, mean, I look at this and think to myself, you know, my wife is more likely to find something to stick with it, where I'm willing to try different foods, even if I don't. Even if I know I like spaghetti, I'll try different foods. You know? Right. And somebody else, would, and that doesn't mean she's right or doesn't mean I'm right. It's just that everybody's going to be a little different. All the other so I think one of the key takeaways is, is when you look at the, the rubric for the coursework, what Frank's discussing now is like chapter one. It's kind of setting right, up. Right, right. It goes. So everything you're discussing is all these other more sophisticated algorithms that you learn in the rest of the course address all the questions you're asked. Right. 
So this is uh, basically a, a video of a, of a representation of, right, this is navigating the ice field, right? So S stands for start, G stands for goal. Um, well, H, why do you say navigating the ice field? I'm sorry, what is uh, So this is this one, this would have been the next demo, right? So basically you play a little bot that's trying to safely navigate. It's like trying to walk across a, a yeah, river across, or across an ice river. Frozen lake, that's what it is. Yeah, frozen lake. Um, and it kind of what it's basically doing is it's going and it's. I mean, like S is safe. S is, is S is the start point. F is is a, is a safe place, like a free place to stand. H is a hole, so you fall in the ice. Oh, I see. So what it's doing is it's learning where not to go. Oh, I see. So basically, and it's in the article, right? And this uh -huh. month, right? And my tech reviewer is in the back. Right. So. Um, Basically, if you did this at random, and it was just kind of an academic exercise, very chapter one type stuff, is that 1% of the time, it would find a way of random, right? So basically what happens is that when it, if it runs into the age, to a hole, it dies, right? So, and it's basically, you want to constrain the environment that you're doing simpler for a simple RL problem, right? Because if it were easy, self-driving cars would have been out. 20 years ago. Right. You have a lot of things, a lot of independent systems that kind of have to, to work together. So I'm going to work through the rest of the slide deck, mostly because um, I have a lot of like, get animations. Right? So, one way to approach this, uh, how I solve this uh, algorithmically, is using what's called a Q table. Right? And Q, I've heard, stands for quality, it could also be the German word for quella means a source, uh, but basically, it basically points out that memory plays an important role in learning. If I were to run the simulation, about 1% of the time, the little bot finds its way across the frozen lake. By implementing a very basic Q table, it makes it half the time. Still wouldn't want to be that little bot uh, driving my little snowmobile over the lake, but still, it has a, has a better check. So basically, um, it's basically try and fail, and it remembers where it failed. And that is pretty much um, how you, that's why we have memories, right? That's why we evolved that memories, is to remember when we messed up uh, and when we were successful, right? And then the guys from Mythbusters, you know, they say it's just playing around once you write it down. Once you write it down, even if you're playing around, it's science because you're taking notes of what happened. Right. So, What's really interesting, and where most of this cutting edge stuff is being done, um, is on Wall Street. And there's a really good video by Siraj Ball, I'll put it in the link in the notes, where he kind of goes through this. Uh, basically, the first person to apply uh, analytics, and we're not talking robots and stuff or, or AI, we're just talking basic stats and real, real time data, it was Michael Bloomberg. He ended up pretty well for himself, I would say. Right? Um, and when I worked on Wall Street in the 90s, it was, you knew who the important guy or gal on the floor was, but who had a Bloomberg terminal. Right? So when I was doing tech support there, I knew if the person had a Bloomberg on, on his desk, I'd best make sure I fix their machine first. Right? <laughs> Everyone else can wait. Right? Which I guess in itself is kind of an RL output. <laughs> <laughs> What's cool about this is that you know, some of this more 
bad stuff, right? The big problem that the kids have with math is it doesn't apply to the world. This is like straight up real world, right? So we saw that in the uh, SEC uh, authorized electronic exchanges in the 90s. How many people remember hearing about the flash crash, right? So basically the stock, I forget what it was, but it was basically something triggered and yeah, so the stock based, uh, the stock market crashed by a couple hundred points in like 20 minutes and then went straight back up. Which, I don't know if the results of the investigation were ever made public, but the, the real key to take away is just imagine what these folks are doing, because they've been using AI uh, in, as quants, uh, as they were called, for a long time. And one of the um, key structures here is this notion of a Markov train. Markov chain, and there's a Markov process where basically it kind of completes a, a full circle back. Does that make sense? So this is a, if you have a Markov chain, you would use or not use certain algorithms based on that. And since we're talking chains, I had to bring up this. Um, but basically, this is kind of what he goes through in the video where he talks about you know state, you have state, you have agent, p or pi. Uh, stands for policy. And I have a policy that if a certain stock drops by so much in one day, if I own it, I'm going to dump it. If I don't own it, I'm going to buy it. And that's a policy, right? And these are the kind of rules. So again, with that chapter one analogy, policy is kind of like chapter two or three, right? Because then you can kind of stack these things, right? So if I can have more advanced ways to solve the whole thing, then basically you have three actions, right? You can buy, you can sell, or you can hold, and that becomes three to the power of N, N being the number of stocks in the portfolio. So if I have a thousand stocks, three to the power of a thousand, these numbers get big pretty quickly. And that dovetails nicely into your computer vision stuff. Which these numbers can get big pretty quickly. And what is important about why GPUs are suddenly become something that only, only like hardcore PC gamers have cared about to now crypto people and data people really want it because you're doing lots of math in parallel. And that's really what makes TPU really good at this. So the reward would be you know, how much money you made on it and your current um, So you'll see, and he walks through it really well in the video. So I can't sign into the thing and it, it, it works about 100% you know, of the time, works 80% of the time, right? Um, this is Siraj Raval. Oh, Siraj. Uh, Siraj Raval is a force of nature. Uh, pretty awesome guy. He's really good at explaining stuff. He's really into the special effects. Uh, but like you'll see, like he talks about this. And the code for this is on GitHub. You can download the play It's pretty interesting to think about that. What's really cool is we can pull the historical data. So this 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 bot thing would go through and pull through. Um, 16 years of stock data. Uh, this is a comment. The uh, number one technical competition is out there right now. Mm -hmm. It's to do um, stock predictions based on news feeds. Interesting. I know. $100,000. See, that's what's really cool because then if you can tie in sentiment analysis, right? <laughs> so is this a positive or negative story uh, about a company? And Everybody's doing it based on stock prices, and that's never what we did for a long time. Yeah. Newsfeed is going to be new. Who is it? Who is it? What is it? 
I know this was the case for Toys R Us. They're dead, so you can't buy them anymore. Every like October to November, their stock went up, and then every January, okay, so, uh, kind of do the same thing works for um, current teachers too. See, a lot of them like you know the Dell stock would go up, and then a week later, the guy who makes the Dell chips would go up. You know, so there's these patterns like that. Right, right. right. So if you had visibility to the supply chain, that would be something you would know. Right. Um, you can see if I look at the patterns of all the stocks. Right, exactly. So this is the code where you basically see, and you'll see a lot of these concepts kind of, you know, go here. Epsilon minimum, somebody asked, will you change epsilon over time? Epsilon decay, you did two, uh, you did two guesses to see what that is, right? Epsilon would decay over time, and now that changes things. Um, so, so if there's a lot to this. So I find it fascinating. I find it extremely frustrating too, because I hated math as a kid, and I I love math to a point, but this really goes beyond like the frontier. But this is going to be the next hotness, like seriously. RL. Oh yeah. Because now everybody and their cousin is like you know they do YouTube videos and they have like there's a course there on data science this, data science that. This is going to be the. I would say the next frontier, but where the frontier is is pretty far out already. So, this and transfer learning, I think, is going to be a problem. Transfer learning is how custom, the custom vision of service works. You can play with that. Basically, you train a model to like 80% what it should be, and then you feed a little bit of extra data, and then it's ready. The advantage of that is that you're, if you're the person that uses a almost baked, it's like buying um, a frozen pie, right? Oh, somebody already did most of the work. Right, 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 right. Oh, wow. Right, so that's why, like, you can come up with a pretty effective custom vision demo, or computer vision demo. Right. So all I have to do is feed like thirty images, and it can tell if a train track is broken or not, with about 90 percent, which is not bad for fifteen minutes of work on my part. Somebody else did all the hard work. Cool. Think about a ton. That's transferability. But this is cool because it really ties into a lot of real world stuff. If you have kids or have pets, you can kind of be like, oh yeah, I know what he's doing. These, to, to everyone else, it just looks like he's in the middle of like, you know, quad um, rockers jumping up and down on a, on a table. But he's learning his boundaries, which apparently Exist yet. So you said this was a tough RL, a tough, tough PDX class, right? It is. And I, I actually have taken the degree thing. Right. So I've taken a bunch of PDX classes. What would you say is a really good, like the AI one, or what, what do you think is a good AI? Oh, they're all PDX good. Class? They're all good. What would be like the next one you would take after standard data science? So I actually did the data engineer one. Okay. Which I thought was good. So what I found was, and, and when I was doing the data science thing, the cool thing with the data science program is it opens up a lot of opportunities, you know a lot, yeah. but it doesn't really talk about, well, they don't mention Hadoop, they don't mention I, right? Like how could you, when right, you go right, to a real right, world right. project, you have to have some familiarity. The data engineer one goes through that in depth. 
Am I right, Andy? Yep. Because uh, we both did that one together. Um, yeah, it's called Big Data, but it's really data engineering. Yeah, I called it engineering. Oh, it's called Big Data, but it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Um, Hadoop, Hive, Spark, um, right. and also covers how to deal with real-time data. But how about the machine? Let's see. That's all. And the machine learning one, I have nine courses in, and the RL one is course number nine. Because so you're working on the third one. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, so what? Oh, yeah, so <laughs> which one is it? Machine learning is it called? AI. Machine learning engineer one. It's oh, a. It's one a, is a professional program for big data. That's machine learning. Then there's the data science one you already did, which is statistical data analysis. Right. Then there's AI, which covers ethics and math. Right. So the RL. AI one, did you do that one yet? Or nine no? out of ten courses through. Oh, that's the one that has this RL. RL is class number nine. Uh, so so work up to it. You work out the caps, caps yeah. right now, caps up. Um, work up to it. Don't start it. It takes a long time. Um, but, but, um, but I mean, it's hard because there's just a lot of things in play. And, the more complicated your simulation is, the more complicated your AI. AI. Well, one of the problems I would criticize is they have a guy named Graham Malcolm. He's uh, really articulate and awesome. Uh -huh. For these, they get the goober geeks from the research and development department, and they're all like, you're smarter than that, but you can't communicate with them. Uh, so that's the problem. Tell you the uh, what I discovered though is if you want to learn math stuff, 